You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants. My name is Patricia Trena. I am a writer uh, for The Athletic, Inside Footballs, Forbes, Sports Exchange, Big Blue View, and a bunch of other places. And I'm flying solo again today. My usual co-host, Ed Valentine, is on vacation as of this recording. He will be back with me uh, the following week. Um, And we will be bringing you a lot more Giants previews as we count down to training camp. In the meantime, today I am joined by a special guest who I'm absolutely delighted he was able to find some time in his busy schedule to come on with me to discuss a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, and that is the salary cap, the NFL salary cap. Our guest is Zach Moore. He is the author of the amazing book, Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions, which is available on Amazon. He's also a consultant and a writer at OverTheCap.com, does really good work, really knows his stuff about the salary cap, puts me to shame at my work on the salary cap. <laughs> Zach, Zach, welcome to uh, Locked On Giants. Thanks so much for taking time. Thank you for the introduction. I don't think I put anyone to shame, though. It's all <laughs> It's all good. Don't sell yourself short. Don't sell yourself <laughs> short. I mean, your, your, your knowledge is, you know, like I said, you put me to shame, and I thought I know, knew just about everything there is with the salary cap. But I anyway, uh, not a problem. So um, what I thought we would do today, Zach, is um, I thought we would take some of the principles of your, your book, which I've just started reading. Unfortunately, I'm not as deep into it yet as I'd like to be, but I will – somehow get to the end of the book before training camp because, like I said, anything with cap uh, matters is, is a it, – it, that's my romance novel. I know. I should get a life, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thought we would talk about some of the principles and kind of look at how the New York Giants are kind of building for the future using some of the principles. You know, you, you talk about building the Super Bowl champion, and I believe your book covers the Patriots and how they've – they've used uh, certain cap principles. And if we could just start off with, you know, what Dave Gettleman inherited when he took over uh, as general manager for Jerry Reese as far as the cap situation and what he's kind of done. Um, for example, I, I know he, he trimmed a lot of dead weight off of the books. He has $21 million in, in dead money right now, which is an unheard of amount for, for the Giants who have generally been good yeah. at that. I mean, what are some of the things that, that you've seen him do as far as trends go, as far as, you know, getting that, that championship team using the, the cap and wisely investing? What I really like what they did over the last, uh, over this off season is they've kind of, they've, at first, I didn't know how I felt about the Saquon Barkley drafting. I thought they should have gone with a quarterback at number two. But with the drafting of Kyle Laletta and then also still having Davis Webb on the roster, I think they've set themselves up nicely to move into the, in the post-Eli era because they've now created a competition behind him between two competent young quarterbacks. And Saquon Barkley is a player that's going to improve the entire offense. It was a huge issue for them. And the drafting of him now will improve the running game, which will then in turn improve the passing game because the run, pa- the run pass balance is such a huge part of offensive efficiency. And then in turn, a little bit more ball control is going to allow the defense to have a little bit less time on the field. They had the fourth most plays against them, run against them in 2017. Um, give, give them a little bit more of a break. 
control the ball more. And, and I think what you wrote in Forbes this week was really uh, spot on because Eli threw play action on under 20% of his plays last year at 19.4%, which is 22nd of 29 quali- qualifying quarterbacks for pro football focus. You've got to think with Saquon Barkley and then also Jonathan Stewart, he's going to be up closer to the 28.7 that Keenum was at in 2017. And play-action passes are some of the most efficient plays in the game. And Bill Walsh had a few principles that his offense was built off of, and the play-action pass was one of the biggest principles and plays that he saw as a, uh, as a way to be efficient because it, did every, it, it used the defense against themselves. If they reacted to the run and, the, and they reacted to pro, in the proper way, the pass go, is going over the top. If they don't respect the pass and if they don't respect the run, then they're going to get bit eventually there too. So the game is a, largely about creating some deception. And in the Ben McAdoo offense, there wasn't any deception. You, you pointed out that in 2016 – 92% of their snaps were in 11 personnel. And, and a lot of the great coaches use a multiplicity of personnel. And, and the Giants, it, it, this to, to look at this year and then look into the future, the Giants don't really have – they're starting to develop some of the pieces around Eli. But now over the next few years, they're going to have to add a little bit more. They might need a third receiver. And, and, but they've, they've got an offense now that they can, they can deal with. Uh, and do something, do some creative stuff with, and, and uh, do a little bit more than they have with McAdoo. Let me ask you this, Seth, because a lot of people, you know, make this argument against keeping Eli beyond really this year or even next year when his contract runs out. They point to the fact that Odell Beckham Jr. is probably going to be become the highest paid receiver when he gets a new contract. Um, you know, currently I think Antonio Brown is is topping out at the position at about 17 million per year. Saquon um, yes. Barkley is going to get a, a guaranteed contract, which is going to I I believe make him the highest paid running back in in the NFL. I mean. When you look at the construction of that type of roster, and then you throw in, you know, Olivier Vernon is still under contract for next year, um, Janoris Jenkins, Nate Solder, it just seems like the Giants are a little top-heavy at that, yes. you know, at, where, where they're devoting the bulk of their cap money to uh, maybe a handful of, of players. Can the team, you know, can they build a championship with that philosophy, or do you see them maybe gravitating towards, you know, spreading out the wealth, if you will, over the next, you know, year or two or three? One issue with the Giants right now is that it, it, it started under Jerry Reese, and it's that they didn't have any success drafting, like, from 2011 till like, 2014 outside of Odell Beckham. It was basically, uh, since that Prince of Mukamara draft, they, they didn't really have anyone on the roster in that draft that they extended. They didn't have, a, uh, the next draft was the David Wilson and, um, and Reuben Randall draft, and there was no success there either. So it ended up in a situation where they, I can't, because I, I advise against the team um, going too top-heavy at the top of their salary cap. And the Giants have 61.35% of their cap invested in their top 10, is, which is where a lot of teams are ending up now because the new CBA allows for so many. Uh, with, if you have any success in the draft, it allows for a team like the Broncos in 2015 to have that top-heavy spending which they were about at about 62% of the cap on the top 10. And they have the top heavy spending because you got Danny Trevathan, Brandon Marshall, CJ Anderson. You have all these 
guys who cost like a half percent of the cap and have become vital starters for your for your offensive defense. So with the Giants case here is that they didn't have draft success, so they had to go out and get Olivier Vernon. They had to go out and get Janoris Jenkins, and or at least they felt like they had to. They had to get a Damon Harrison. So it's created this top-heavy roster. And then one of the issues with the Giants right now is that they haven't had the depth of draft success. And, and also, you know, you have a guy like Flowers and Eli Apple who are your first-round picks, and they, they don't seem to be developing into what you want to, what you expect out of a first-round pick, like a, a very good starter. So the, the roster has a – because I, I looked at the schedule this year, and it's just – it's a tough schedule for the roster they have right now. But I think that the team now is in a position where they're going to be able to build for the future if, if they start having a little bit more draft success, which, I, which is what they're hoping to do with this new regime. It's interesting. That's a point that I've actually made s- several times about how – you know, Olivier Vernon, how Janoris Jenkins and Damon Harrison were mulligans for guys like Demontre Moore who didn't pan out, yeah. for guys like Marvin Austin who didn't pan out. And as yes. you said, you know, for, at, at the cornerback position, after Prince of Mukamara didn't quite develop exact – I mean, he was better than the rest of the lot, but, you know, I think they might have been expecting a little bit more because certainly they didn't give him a second contract. So so that's, a you know, definitely a point I can agree with. Um, you know, they had a, let's, they let's had a lot of issues with injuries, too. They had a yeah. lot of issues with injuries during those years, too, which didn't allow – because on the point of Amukamara, it didn't allow them to see what they had with some players. And, and they led the injuries, like, uh, I think in, like, 2013 and 2014. So there was, like, this, this draft class where everyone was getting hurt, and then they made those moves for those big free agents. So it, it, there's, a, there's a few factors in there that have, that have kind of put the team in this top-heavy position but they're in a position now where hopefully they can they can build out of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like, you know, a lot of work to clean out that. And, you know, like I mentioned, they have over $21 million in, uh, in dead, money, dead money, which is, a yeah, that's, it's not the most, I think the Bills, if I'm not mistaken, lead the league in dead money. At like money, 25. But, yeah, about, but so they're not that far off here. But you know, you look at you look at that, and that's unusual for the Giants. In the past, they've kind of managed the dead money pretty well. But is this a sign that Dave Gettleman is just kind of cleaning up that roster somewhat? I mean, you know, you look at you look at the t- guys on the on the Giants, the top ten contracts or so: Manning, Vernon, uh, Jenkins. Well, Jenkins doesn't have guaranteed money, but Solder, Harrison, uh, Beckham, Ogletree. They, bunch of guys. I mean, they have guaranteed money, and I'm not sure how they stack up, but there's quite a few guys on the Giants who have a lot of guaranteed money this year. Yeah, the um, the situation for their future right now um, is, is part of that dead money cap hit was, was the Jason Pierre-Paul deal was a pretty pretty bad deal from the beginning because you don't, to invest in a quarterback, a, a and to also invest $15 million a year in Jason Pierre-Paul. And then you got Janoris Jenkins right behind them. You, you've overextended yourself so that you can't really build out the rest of that roster. So to make moves like signing a Nate Solder or, or making the moves we'll need to make into the near future to build out the rest of the roster, they had to get rid of JPP. And it was, it was a pretty bad signing from the start because a lot of the teams in the league, like the Eagles last year, they, they had a rotation of eight seven or eight defensive ends who were competent. They had like seven defensive ends with over 20 pressures, which is a really high number. And 
they created pressure on the quarterback 40% of the time. And when you create pressure on the quarterback, the quarterback's rating goes down from like 93 to like 62. So you don't, you don't completely negate the play like a sack does, but you turn the quarterback from like, you know, uh, name a good quarterback to uh, Brock Osweiler. So it's a situation where you're, you're really diminishing their efficiency. And that, and that's kind of the name of the game is I look at the overarching, it's a, something I took from a philosophy book, Robert Persig's The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And he talks about quality and, and quality being kind of the mother of all things and, and what we're searching for. And in football, quality is efficiency. And the, the putting pressure on the quarterback, a lot of teams are looking at that as a matter of putting fresh legs in there rather than just having two defensive ends that you want to play 90% of the snaps. So you want to create this rotation where the legs are fresh because you're going up against offensive linemen who you can expose them with fresh legs. Because it's like John Gruden had an, a nice metaphor for it last year during, during the Monday Night Football broadcast was that having these fresh legs is like putting in a closer late in the game who's just throwing 98-mile-an-hour heat after the, the starting pitcher has kind of slowed down over the course of eight innings or, you know, six innings. So it, it, yeah, the, team, good, good point. the team needs to draft a defensive end uh, in this upcoming draft or an outside linebacker now that they're switching to the 3-4. The right, which, which they've done. You know, they, they've added uh, Lorenzo Carter. You know, they've tried to, to build out that depth. And, they ha- and Dave Gettleman, of course, added uh, B.J. Hill, R.J. McIntosh. Uh, they signed Josh Morrow. So, they, they're re- you know, he, he spoke about that. You know, in terms of you know building out the uh, the roster and the depth, and, and and looking at what the Eagles did in terms of yeah. adding you know guys who can rotate in there, because I mean, look, one of the reasons why, and it's interesting, I've I've made this argument. I don't know if it's valid or not, but I'll put it out there for what it's worth. Is Olivier Vernon before he came to the Giants, he never ha- missed the game, was never injured, but at the same time, he was never asked to play ninety percent or more of the steps yes. of which he was eligible. I don't care how good of condition you're in; that's a lot to ask in this game. That's a lot to ask of anybody who's not a quarterback or, you know, somebody, an offensive lineman, somebody who's, who, you know, going to be consistent with the same group and everything like that. That's that's just crazy. The defensive line is the most violent. Just from my, I played football in college, and just just from thinking about the defensive line group, you knew they were the biggest savages on the team. They had the hardest job. They they were the most violent. Their 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 uh co- their our position coach on the D line was the craziest guy on the team. So it's just like it it's a it's a very difficult position to play a thousand or eleven hundred snaps at which is why a lot of these teams are cycling these guys through because it's an explosive movement. It's a sprinter stance, and then you're immediately making contact with another 300, with a, a 330-pound person. And it's just not something that, like you said, like if, you're, if you're playing 70% of the snaps, the likelihood of injury or overuse or, or running into a situation where you get injured is, is much lower. For sure, for sure. Uh, Zach, let's talk about Eli Manning, if we could, because, you know, like I said, there's been a lot of debate about him and his future. Now, he's been named the starting quarterback of the Giants for this year by Pat Shermer, by Dave Gettleman. He signed through 2019. I mean, 
what do you do with Eli Manning if he, you know, shows that he can be the guy he was? And I, I know this is a what-if scenario, but, you know, at some point, you know, Davis Webb is entering year two of his contract. I believe he has a four-year deal. They just drafted Kyle Lawletta, who signed to a four-year deal. You can't keep, it, it, to my mind, you can't keep, you know, cycling in guys, backup quarterbacks, developing them, and then they go off and, and, and play for somebody else, or, you know, you, you don't get anything in return. And I think, you know, the fact that they drafted Ryan Nassib a few years ago and they traded up to get him, and now they have really nothing to show for two picks, just kind of a crazy thing. So I'm just wondering, with Eli Manning, can the Giants – given the way their cap is structured now and in and, and the next year or two, can they still be competitive in terms of getting the talent, becoming a little bit more well-rounded, accommodating Odell, accommodating Landon Collins, and all the other guys that are coming up for renegotiation, um, despite the fact that they have Eli's big contract sitting there on the books? So as of right now in 2019, I have them projected at about $45 million in cap space. If they were to move on from Eli, that would create $17 million in cap space. And then 2020, which Eli is not under contract, they have about $95 million worth of cap space. So theoretically, they could continue to keep Eli around. Um, that's a possibility. But I, I, I like what you're saying about um, – I like what you said about wasting draft picks now kind of – it's not really wasting, but um, but when you when you have a team that's that's not a complete roster like the Giants have had lately, when you spend quarterback, when you spend a draft pick on Nasib, uh, you spend it on uh, Webb and Loletta, You want to get something out of, especially Webb and Loletta the last two years. Those are third and fourth round picks. Was Webb a second or third round pick? He was a third round pick, right? Webb was. I believe Webb was a third rounder, yes. So that's a prime position to be finding a defensive end because uh, I found that uh, I think it was 47% of defensive ends drafted in the fourth round became starters uh, for at, like during the course of their career. So it's a place where you can really actually find value at, at an impo- very important position. So I think that teams don't take, weight, uh, they don't take using a third and fourth round pick lightly on, on any player. Uh, especially with the position the Giants are in. And I think they use that to create flexibility because one thing I'm, I'm big on is having uh, more than one option at quarterback. And the Giants have put themselves in a position for the po- post-Eli era where now they have a couple years to experiment with these two guys, see what they have, learn about them, uh, see how they'll fit in the offense, maybe start crafting the offense to see if there's some certain things these guys do well, um, and then spend those next couple years seeing if they can move on from Eli, because that's another big piece of the Saquon Barkley drafting, is that drafting Barkley means that whoever the next quarterback is is going to have an incredible running game. Well, let me not get ahead of myself. Could have an incredible running game to, to lean on, which is a formula that the Rams are using to success, the Cowboys are using to success, the Eagles had multiple running backs to use to success. And here's the other thing about the Jonathan Stewart signing that I think that um, – I think that people haven't noticed, or people know LeGarrette Blunt won the last two Super Bowls, but the value that a player who can create, that who can who can get the short yardage, and doesn't have to be your lead back, like Stewart won't be the lead back, but having that guy is a very valuable piece for moving the chains and scoring in the red zone. So they've, and at least in the short term, that's talking short term, um, but long term with Barkley and and whoever else, they, Gallman's not. Gallman's also a guy that you can throw back there. So they've got a, a backfield that whoever the next quarterback is, they can lean on. 
And I think it's made their, it's going to make the team altogether quite a bit better and, and prepare for the post-Eli era because I think that spending money on Beckham and spending money on Collins, which is about to come, you also don't want to spend what's going to amount to probably maybe $25 million or you know, 20 to $25 million, depending on how generous Eli is feeling, um, on a quarterback who's going to be 39 when you've, you've, you've got two guys who might just be very efficient passers for you. Loletto's got really great accuracy, and, and, and I, I, if I'm the Giants, I, I feel really comfortable with that, about that pick and where the future is going. Yeah, I mean, Davis Webb, just based on what we saw of him uh, in the spring. Now, I, again, it's, there's no hitting, there's no wide drills, but he looks – you're talking a difference of night and day just in certain throws that he wasn't able to make last year uh, that he's able to make this year or has shown he's been able to make, um, his leadership, his confidence. But, you know, again, he's got to get it done in a game. And I think the coaching staff last year hurt him by not giving him some live reps. I thought that was a huge mistake. Yeah, yeah I don't know why they went with Geno Smith in that one game because you know what Geno Smith is. Why don't you get some data on the guy you just drafted? Uh, it, could he have been that bad? I mean – that, that's one thing about Christian Hackenberg is that you kept seeing with the Jets that they never wanted to give him a chance, which said to you that, man, he must really not be that good. But Webb, I, it was rookie year. I mean, check him out. Yeah, agree. Absolutely. And uh, that'll be one of the mysteries I think that'll go down that we'll never be able to solve. Zach, let's talk, uh, let's spin ahead a little bit because this is something I have often wondered about and I'd like to get your take on this is, and that is with the current CBA scheduled to end in 2020, now you've got guys who are, like I said, who are in line for multi-year deals, the Odell Beckhams, the Landon Collinses, uh, et cetera. How, if, if at all, does the fact that the, the CBA is due to end, and it sounds like, you know, based on um, from what we've been hearing, it sounds like there could be a work stoppage because, um, you know, the union is, is encouraging players to save money just in case, and I guess it sounds like they're digging in for, for what's going to be a battle royale. But how does that, you think, factor in when you're talking about negotiating contracts? I mean, put on your agent's cap for a minute here. If you're Odell's agent, if you're Landon Collins' agent, do you go for a deal that, you know, is three years in length, you know, to finish out the current CBA and then start fresh, or do you just, not, do you just ignore the fact that it's going to end and, and just go, for, you know, get the best possible dollars? I think the concern is more on the team side, is wondering where the salary cap is going to go is wondering um, if there's going to be any increases or if there's going to be any decreases. Or like, say, if the, if they, say the owners get more of the pie, uh, you know, say they, they get another 2% or something, is the salary cap going to go down? From a player standpoint, um, I look at where the salary cap's going. So I, I projected the salary cap out based on a 107.5% increase uh, because that's been the historical increase over the salary cap since 1994. So uh, an, an increase of 7.5% each year. And, yeah, yeah, an, an increase of 75 not an increase of 1075 My bad, I, I mixed those two up. Um, but from, a, from an Odell Beckham standpoint, I think you try and just get, it, get the normal going rate. You try and get that whatever his, his uh, you know, he's asking for $20 million, but say if you get an $18 million a year offer over, 50, over five years, 
then you take that. But also a concern for him um, might be uh, wondering where the wide receiver market is going. Because that's one thing with the defensive end market right now is that Khalil Mack, Jason from over the cap, Jason Fitzgerald, he's been talking about Khalil Mack maybe being a $20 million a year defensive end. So that's, if you're in the defensive end market, you might want to wait. And you might want to see where the, the market ends up after Mac, because now you're dictating your terms of I want to be the highest paid DN, and you might want you might want to have that next contract come up in three years. But the wide receiver market doesn't seem to be uh, going too far in that direction. So uh, there there's a, there's there's varying degrees of of what you want to do with the contract. I mean, if the Giants come in and offer you um, eighteen million dollars a year over five years, you might want to take it. But if they offer you um, it's, uh, I mean, if they offer you the same thing over, I don't know. I mean, you just, it's, it's, it, there's varying degrees of, it, it depends on what the offers are, really. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering if, you know, like I said, I would think that if there is a work stoppage after 2020, um, if I'm not mistaken, the contracts will toll, won't they? They won't. They, they'll carry over for how, you know, especially if the year gets wiped out. So if I'm oh, yeah. a player, if I'm a player, I don't know that I want, you know, necessarily a five-year deal. And now, you know, we have the potential of a work stoppage, and now I'm still locked in. And that's a really good point. Meanwhile, yeah, so I, I, I'm just wondering how that's going to work. I mean, it, I, I've had different people tell me different things about that. I know from my perspective how I would want it, but, uh, you know, player perspective, agent perspective, and team perspective, like you said, two very different things, and I would think teams maybe don't care about that because it didn't – was it you that told me that the cap is actually going to – you were projecting it to go up depending on – but it's just a matter of how they share it in the next CBA. Is that, that what – were you the one who told me that? can't remember uh i've i've kind of factored in i, I was factoring in 109 percent increase originally mm-hmm. but i have kind of come back down i mean a not a, a yearly increase after the cba of nine percent because the the growth has been a little bit stagnant because the, the, the owners have taken a larger piece of the pie um mm-hmm. but I, I i mean considering all the things that are on the table right now and all the concerns uh players have my my main concern about the new CBA is increasing the ro- rookie wage scale because most players, uh, you're getting a lot of really good years. Uh, some of the players, most players' best years come in their first four seasons, and they're on a contract that is so far below their market value. You'll see in Chapter 10 of Caponomics, I discussed that from a, from a value perspective of what these players bring versus what they're paid. Even, you know, a fourth-round pick is worth, like, over 1% of the cap, but they're only making a half percent of the cap. So and these are just averaging out the the expected value of, of a player drafted in a certain position. So these are, like, uh, that. that's my main concern, but no one's going to the table for the rookie contract players because these guys have already played out their rookie contract, the guys that are negotiating the CBA. They've already played out their rookie contract, and now they're trying to get their money too. So the, the league has kind of become this uh, haves and have not league where the wide receiver, the defensive end, the quarterback, the left tackle, uh, and the cornerbacks are all getting paid a lot of money, but the running backs are getting discarded after their first contract. The inside linebackers aren't, are, are seeing, you know, deals that only go as high as, you know, $11, $12 million a year. Um, and no, that's for some of the best, but, you know, most of the market, most of the veteran market won't see much higher than $8 million a year. 
so I mean, there's there there's big concerns coming up with the new CBA, and and the more I think about it, um, there's so much to negotiate that I can't really predict out that there will be an increase for the players because they're going to be there's a few things on the table they're going to be concerned with, like uh, that you can already see the 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 um, the owners and the players starting to fight about whether it's the the national anthem stuff, uh, uh, cannabis, whether it's a variety of things. Um, there's going to be it's going to be a it's definitely going to be a battle because we can already see a few of the issues. Yeah, it sounds like we we could be in for a work stoppage for sure. That's going to wipe out at least the season. That's what it's sound, sounding that, like to me. I mean, unless something breaks. Man, that, that, you're you're closer to it than I am. So I mean that that's. <laughs> that's not a that's not a pleasant thought. No football for a year. No, I I went through the 2011 uh, uh, work stoppage, and you know, thankfully they resolved that in time, and to where you know no games were lost. But still, just going through that whole off season and just not knowing what was going to happen, um, you know. And then I can remember back in the 80s, you know, the the work stoppages they had and the replacement games. I don't know if you're if you were no, you you wouldn't be old enough. I don't know to remember uh, the work stoppages of the 80s where they had the replacement players. That was not pleasant either. I mean, good. that was like eighty-seven, quality right? Of the game. Yeah, yeah. The quality of the game was just awful back then. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's scary. But Zach, just one more question, if I if I could, and I wanted to um, ask you to kind of put your your cap hat back on. When you look at the Giants' roster for two thousand nineteen, you look at the the cap and how they have maybe I think couple guys in the top ten that have guaranteed money. I think um, Solder is one. Um, I think uh, Evan Ingram is another. I think maybe Kareem Martin might be another. If you look at the Giants' top half, where, where you know the bulk of their cap space is going to, can you? What contracts do you anticipate might be targets for either removal? If the player doesn't live up to them, or maybe restructures, can you can you forecast that at this point? So Eli, Eli, we already discussed is is that that first one, right? So that's that first concern. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But Damon Harrison is a guy I would target for a restructure because defensive tackles, especially a defensive tackle of his quality, they can they can continue to produce past the age of thirty two. So that's a guy who you could lower his cap hit. Um, by, by a few million dollars to create some space if you want to go out and sign another, I don't know, say um, just pick a position of need, you know, uh, maybe another uh, guard because I, I like Will Hernandez, but who's the other guard? Um, Amame? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that, Amame. But, yeah, but he, he still got money on him. How do you feel about that signing? Um, I don't know enough about it. I mean, on the surface, I like it because, you know, I've spoken with Patrick. He's a very intelligent player. Um, he seems to understand the game, you know, very well, seems to, you know, be able to do his assignments. But then again, and also I like the fact that he, he blocked on a line for Leonard Fournette um, and, and yeah. who had, you know, a lot of success back down there. But, you know, Andrew, I guess, well, maybe this isn't a fair comparison, but, you know, replacing him with Andrew Norwell, you know, and this is now, what, his fifth team in six years. So that, that would kind of be, I guess, a little bit of a concern for me. But um, 
I'm I'm optimistic about him. You know, it's it's June, and you know, <laughs> you got to be optimistic this time of year, I guess. Yeah, everyone's a little optimistic. Someone asked me last night uh, who has the worst roster in the NFL, and I was just looking at the whole the whole roster, I mean, the whole league, and I'm like, well, they, they might be bad, and they might be bad, but, like, it, this is the time of year where everyone's like, you know, we solved this need or we solved that need, and, and now we, we, we think we've made the adjustments we need to make, and, and one of the issues is that you never know who's going to get injured. You never know who's not going to perform, who's going to drop off. Because uh, you never know who's dealing with a, an injury from last year um, that, that's not going to play well this year. Um, so there, there's so much that can happen. But if I'm looking at the future uh, of restructures, Damon Harrison would be the first person I would target uh, for a restructure and get him, sign him for another year or two, extend him, you know, extend him till he's 34. That wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Um, considering the position because it's such a strength-based position rather than a speed-based position. So defensive tackles can have a little bit longer career um, because strength it, it continues to progress as you age while speed diminishes. Um, but uh, other than that... Maybe Janoris Jenkins? Would you look at maybe, him? Maybe, but... Do something with him? Do, do you want him to be on your team past 32? How, how do you feel he played last year? Well, last year he was he was injured, so I don't right. think you can, I, I would say he's you know incomplete as far as evaluating whether or not he lived up to his contract. I mean, when a guy's injured, I don't think it's fair to say oh he underperformed. Right. But with that said, I think I do think this year is a make or break year for him. Right, because that that's the concern I have with a cornerback being past thirty two is is the speed the speed uh, aspect is 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 he going to be able to continue to. Uh, play with the same kind of speed past the age of 32. Um, and if he can be the player he was in 2016 this year, maybe that's a bet you're willing to make if you want to clear a little more space for some kind of move. But I think the, team, the team's in pretty good shape right now in terms of the, the, the three-year window, like moving forward into the future. Like this year, I don't – I'm sorry, Giants fans. I, I just don't see it as a as – a, playoff type season I mean the first seven games are Jacksonville Dallas Houston New Orleans Carolina Philly and Atlanta those are seven games where they could be two and five at the end of that um the, the schedule lets up after that um but you know even the the the, the bad teams from 2007 on there Houston it was 2017 Houston is a team that should probably improve so um what I see is um continuing to build through the draft because they need a few more good drafts before they can really be in a position to succeed. And, and, and they've already have such, like we said, such a top heavy roster and they're going to have two more guys coming in there with, um, with Beckham and Collins. So I, I would, I would much rather see them just sign those two guys. And if there's a glaring need, maybe go out and sign someone. Um, but if you, if you go out and sign someone, then, it might be time to move on from Eli because you don't want to then reinvest in Eli if you just spent $12 million a year on someone as well uh, from outside the organization. Um, so I, I, I w what I'm really liking about with the Giants right now is the, the Barkley draft pick and then the competition behind Eli and the future of the organization, maybe them being able to transition in the post-Eli era with, um, with two competent well, with one of those guys being a, a good, accurate quarterback who allows them to then build out the defense, lean on the running game, 
and use Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard as because you also have to re-sign Shepard soon too. I mean, he had I think it was uh, he was on pace for a thousand yards if, if he played all sixteen games. So I mean, mm-hmm. if you, that could be one of the better wide receiver duos in the league. If you keep those guys together, and if Kyle Loletta's a, a fair, or, or Davis Webb's a very accurate passer, you've got something there. And then you have Evan Ingram too. So I, I, I'd be focused on if I am going to spend, I'd be focused on spending on the defensive side of the ball, especially if Eli Apple turns out to be someone they want to get rid of after this year if there continue to be concerns. Boy, a lot of decisions for for Dave Gettleman to make in the future, huh? Yeah, I mean, there, there always is. It's always very interesting to me, um, the chess pieces that, that, uh, that have to fall into place, like what this one move means for later down the line, what this draft pick means for here, um, what this signing means for – a lot of the times these big signings, like, like a Sammy Watkins uh, signing for $16 million a year or one of these big outrageous signings, you, you then always have to ask yourself, okay, what does this mean here? Who are we not going to be able to re-sign on the roster? Um, and, and, and that's always a, a concern when I'm thinking about spending a lot of money on a, on a player, out, especially outside the organization. Yeah, and you mentioned Sammy Watkins. You look at the deal he got. Can you imagine what kind of deal now Odell Beckham Jr. can, can you know, ask for considering Sammy Watkins' uh, production hasn't been anywhere close to what Odell has, has generated? I mean, it's just crazy how it works. Yeah, it, it, that was a very strange contract because I was very, I'm, I'm very big on the Chiefs right now because they, they've got Patrick Mahomes. Because I, I look at the Andy Reid system from the perspective of what was Donovan McNabb able to accomplish, what is this player going to be able to accomplish, or what was Alex Smith able to accomplish, what is this player going to accomplish at a lower cap hit, and then what are they able to build out around the rest of the roster. And I just felt like the investment in that much money in Sammy Watkins, while he's an explosive, great player, it concerns me because they're, they, it's not a, it's not a entirely complete – it's a very good team, but is there anywhere else they could have improved and gotten someone cheaper who was going to provide them with 800 yards like Sammy Watkins might provide, but at a, at a, at a much lower number? Like, w- w- would Paul Richardson at $8 million a year have been a smarter move than Sammy Watkins at $16 million a year? I don't know, but that's a question I'm going to ask myself. I think that's a question they're going to ask themselves, especially if Sammy Watkins doesn't live up to that deal. It's going to be crazy yeah. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Zach, I want to thank you uh, for coming on. It's Zach Moore, again, he is the author of Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions. The book is available in, in, on Amazon, so definitely check it out. Zach, where else can uh, people find you? I, I know you're on Twitter. Just want to give them your handle? Yeah, my Twitter is at Zach Moore NFL with a K, so it's Z-A-C-K. And then, um, yeah, just follow me there. And I'll, uh, as the season gets rolling, hopefully I'll be writing a little bit more for Over the Cap and have some good articles for you guys coming up. Definitely check out his work, folks. He also put out an article on, on a proposed contract for Odell Beckham Jr., which is worth checking out. So if you haven't seen that, head on over to Over the Cap, and uh, you can do a search, I believe, on the site, and that will bring that right up, and you can see just how good Zach is. When I tell you he's better than me on the salary cap, believe me, folks, he is. <laughs> Zach, <laughs> Thank you very always much. always a pleasure. Uh, no problem. Always a pleasure, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon once we start getting some of these contracts on board. Sounds good with me. All right. Thank you for having folks, me. Folks, 
You're very welcome. All right, Giant fans, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, again, Ed Valentine will be back from vacation next week, and we will uh, bring you more Giants coverage as we count down to the starter training camp. I want to thank Zach Moore for coming on, and want to thank you for listening as always, and we will be in touch with you again soon. Take care.